Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last and this is Beyond Synth, episode 80. What a milestone this is. It is not a special episode at all. I've got nothing special planned other than part two of my conversation with Rick Shithouse, the founder of Synthetics. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to the show and you're like, who the hell is Rick Shithouse? Go go listen to last week's. That's... (laughs) I'm not going to explain it again. He founded Synthetics. And there, and I've just explained it again. But, the, you know, this dude, uh, he's been around for a while. And uh, he uh, founded Synthetics FM, which was this hub that a lot of Synthwave people got their start. They met each other through Synthetics. It's a really important thing. A sort of uh, a web, a spider's web in the scene, in the Synthwave scene. And it was integral to a lot of people getting their start and uh, getting that support early on for them to make the cool synthwave music and that's what Synthetics FM's all about and he does reviews and uh, there's also a show called Synthetic Sundays on Sundays but uh, we we don't talk about that here because (laughs) anyways part two of my conversation with Rick Shithouse and if you want this conversation to make more sense I highly suggest you listen to part one of the conversation with Rick Shithouse episode 79 but today is episode 80 and it is also technically my Halloween episode Uh, I don't actually have a Halloween episode planned so maybe I'll just play some dark synth stuff but really I don't have like a Halloween uh, playlist for you today but uh, if you like themed shows and you want to hear dark synth and Halloween stuff. Um, It's a perfect opportunity to go check out Synthetic Sundays, hosted by Marco Merrick. That's right, I'm giving another podcast a plug because I am a big man. Beyond Synth is brought to you by DownToJam.com, okay? Uh, that's a free website that helps musicians around the world connect based on musical compatibility. If you are a musician looking for a partner to jam with or to fill a spot in your band, let's say, then you're going to want to check out this site and sign up. It's called DownToJam.com, D-O-W-N-T-O-J-A-M.com, and uh, do it up, man, if there's people in your your zone that are using the site you can uh, connect with them and uh, you know form a band and make some music and then send it to me and speaking of music let's listen to some this is a cool track i guess this is kind of halloweeny because it's a dark one i don't know i'm not <laughs> i'm not going to preface it some of the songs i'm going to play are going to be halloweeny and some of them are not and you make the call whether or not it was a scary tune or uh, what am i doing <laughs> This is Nathan Dandy and the track Tentacles. Thank you. 
And that was Tentacles by Nathan Dandy. And you are listening to Beyond Synth. Was that a spooky track? Technically, Halloween isn't for a few days. It depends when you're listening to this, I suppose. If you're listening to this on Thursday night during our live show, by live I mean we play the show and then I join the chat, then uh, Halloween is a few days away. If, however, you are listening to this on Monday when it drops on SoundCloud, today is Halloween. So that works out okay, I guess. Ooh. Of course, no one ever really listens to the show when it drops. I think that's like two people. Listen, you can follow me on uh, Twitter. I am at Andy Last on Twitter. That's the official Twitter Facebook account. That's that is what? <laughs> that's the official Twitter Facebook account, guys. You just sign up to SoundCloud, man. It's as simple as that. You know, that's the official Instagram. You gotta understand. At Andy Last is the Twitter handle, and that's the official Twitter handle for Beyond Synth. You can also check out facebook.com slash beyond.synth.podcast and soundcloud.com slash beyondsynth. And um, if you want to send tracks to the show, if you want me to check out your music and stuff like that, you can contact me any one of those ways, either at the Facebook page, the SoundCloud page, on the Twitter. You can even uh, send an email to beyondsynth at gmail.com. And when I get around to checking it, I'll listen to your stuff, man. And if you do listen to the show on uh, SoundCloud, please, uh, you know, like the show and comment on it and stuff. You know, I like to see that activity. I've never done this before, but if you're listening to this show and you think that there's other people you know who might like it, man, let them know. I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, like I'm pandering like a bum or something, but like, you know, if... If you know, if you're sitting there like, you know, someone might dig this, you know, I feel like there's like a, a video game crowd out there, people who really dig uh, synth wave and, and, and uh, fun conversations and stuff, and they might like it and they just might not know about it, man. So be the heroes of Beyond Synth and let people know about the show, man, because that would be cool. And of course, uh, you can also follow at Power 85 Radio and at Project Friday FM. Those are all uh, things that uh, you should follow as well, because we're playing this show on Power 85. Dot com. That's 24 hours a day streaming Synthwave. And uh, Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we air Beyond Synth, which is this. And, uh, yeah, and then it uh, goes to SoundCloud uh, the next week. But it's fun to tune in uh, on the live show on uh, Thursday nights because there's a chat going on. And uh, it's a small, intimate group of people who, uh, you know, talk about uh, Synthwave and games and movies and stuff while we uh, sit back and listen to this great show. And speaking of great, let's listen to another track. This is Kingslin and the track Keeper. Okay. 
And that was Keeper by King Slynn. And that is a cool song. Maybe that one's not so Halloween-y, but it's uh... (laughs) a... Is Halloween-y a real adjective? Is adjective the word I mean to say? I'm terrible at English. It's not an adverb. A Halloween-y song. Adjectives are the things that go before nouns, right? (laughs) Hey, here's something new. Uh, Someone got in touch with me and uh, said, Hey, man, you should give me a shout-out on the show, and so I'm going to read it. I don't have a theme song for shout-outs, so I apologize, but this was from a dude called Lee Anthony Beat, and he says, Hello, me and my family are huge fans of your podcast. We love it. Never miss one. We just wondered if we could get a mention on your podcast from Lee Beat and the Beat family listening from Birmingham, UK. Well, buddy, and family, (laughs) I'm just... When you say uh, me and my family listen to this show, I'm picturing like one of those scenes from like the 1920s when there's like a family huddled around one of those giant wooden radios. So um, don't spoil the illusion and tell me what it actually looks like. If it is a family huddled around an iPod. Or a, uh, an iPod dock with some speakers. But uh, anyways, the bottom line is this. Hello, Lee Anthony Beat and family. Um, the Beat family. Thanks for listening to the show. I don't know what that means when you say family. I, I don't know if this is necessarily an appropriate show for little children. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think it's not not appropriate. I don't think it's not not appropriate. Is that too many negatives? I hope you guys are having a lovely day in Birmingham, UK, England. I don't know if uh, Halloween is a thing over there as much as it is over here, but uh, if not, well, you guys have like Guy Fawkes Day, right? Is that a thing? (sighs) I don't really know that much. You see, I watch a lot of British TV, but I don't know if that really translates into actual information, Uh, unless somehow my classic Doctor Whos I've watched have given me insight into British culture, which I don't think that they have. Otherwise, I would believe that London has been invaded like 50 times by uh, all sorts of different uh, alien creatures. The point is, this is the <laughs> the longest, most convoluted shout-out I've ever given. It's also the first, which is why there's no theme song. So here's what I'm going to do. If anyone wants a shout-out again, they can let me know, and maybe I can convince Hoo-Ha to write me a shout-out jingle. But regardless, uh, the Beat family will always be the first shout-outs on Beyond Synth, and they deserve a round of applause. Remember, it's just me here. <laughs> oh, and my sound engineer and the huge crew. Remember those people as well. You just, you never hear them because they are very, very professional people. Isn't that right, uh, Jim, sound editor? Fuck you, Andy! <laughs> And that's why this is a free show. <laughs> what should we do here? Should we do the Patreon? Should we do some junk email? How about this? Let's listen to another song, and then we will uh, do the Patreon. How about that? That seems like a cool plan. This is Protector 101 with the track BFLC, which stands for Big Fucking Laser Cannons. And it's moments like these that I hope the Beat family is not a bunch of children. (laughs) Don't say what Andy Last says, kids, uh, because that's uh, inappropriate language. That song again is Big Fucking Laser Cannons by Protector 101.
And that was BFLC by Protector 101, which stands for Big Fucking Laser Cannons. And I am Andy Last, and you are listening to Beyond Synth. Happy Halloween, uh, spooky ghosts and all that, skeletons. Let's go to the Patreon. So just in case you guys didn't know, Beyond Synth has a Patreon. And a Patreon is where you can donate money to the show. Obviously, the show is always going to be free, but if, uh, you know, if you appreciate the work we're doing here, me and my sound engineer... Fuck you, Andy! Yeah, so if you appreciate that, you can always uh, donate some money to the show, and, you know, every little bit counts. Uh, you know, if you just want to donate a buck a month, uh, that's totally cool. A buck is a dollar, just in case that wasn't uh, clear. And, of course, if you donate higher amounts, there's, like, some shitty prizes for you and stuff like that. And uh, I appreciate all of it, and uh, this is the part of the show where I shout out all of my lovely Patreon donors. So, as always, we want to thank Power85 and Brendan Kellum, Lucas C, Rivonia, Kai, Saloja. Wait, is that new? Yeah, that's a new one. Saloja? Is that how you say it? Every week, I get a new donor, and they have a name that I don't know how to pronounce, and I feel like an asshole. (laughs) Because... (laughs) Because the way this show gets posted, I record the show, and then, you know, it goes live on Thursdays, and then it posts on Mondays, and sometimes it's like three or four weeks before people finally get around to listening to the show, and then they correct me. But anyways, uh, thank you very much, Saloja, for your uh, lovely donation. And Lunar Baboon, and Knox Bello, Terrence Thompson, Nathan Winter, I'm reading them like happy today is what I'm going for here, Russ Nyes, Paul Lope. Lopez? Lopes? You still haven't corrected me, dude. I always thought Lopez ended with a Z. Yeah, that's right. I'm Canadian, so I say Z. But this ends with an S. So I want to say Lopes. And I keep saying Lopes, and I know, like, in two months' time, someone's going to hold me, and they're going to say it's Lopez. Anyways, Paul Lopes. That's right. Again, Seich. C-I-H. How would you say this one? S-I-E-T-C-H. Seich? Seich? The Fear Merchant. <laughs> That's another one. And Zikorax and Tomas and Martin. See, last week I said it as Sigoriga, but maybe it's like Chigoriga, like that. Like it's a chi sound. So it's either Martin Sigoriga or Martin Chigoriga. And then there's Python Blue. And then there's Eric Valerio. And of course, my lovely $5 Pattersons. There's Joe and Lando. Florence Bullock. Roman. x Music. Philip Huberger. Devious Raven. Bobby B. John Eternal. Will Lowe. Dougie Fresh. Lame Robot Mitchell Carswell. Girls with Tails. And Hellroy. 666. And uh, and then, of course, now those guys were all my lovely $5 Pattersons. And then we go to my lovely $10 Pattersons. Now, if you donate 10 bucks a month for a few months in a row, then I will make you a very special personalized video that will go on the Beyond Synth YouTube page, as I did for Jake Last. 
and Trevor Resnick. And of course, uh, my other $10 Patterson's Colin Bennett. And you know that Colin Bennett is FM84, right? I mean, he's been on the show before, and he's got a wicked album, which you should listen to. And, uh, and then, of course, the king of the Pattersons, Scotty Golden. And that is the Patreon. Let's listen to another track. And this one, of course, this is Halloween-themed. This is Ogre and Dallas Campbell. They did an awesome collaboration again. Uh, and this was their rescoring of Night of the Living Dead. And this track is called Morning.
And that was Mourning uh, from the end of the Night of the Living Dead album. Uh, a rescoring project that Ogre and Dallas Campbell did with each other. And of course, they also collaborated on another Halloween y kind of album called All Hallows. And then there was also their collaboration on the rescoring uh, 2001 project. And of course, if you dig that stuff, they've been on the show several times together. And those are always uh, fun shows when they, when they come on the show. And uh, we'll be going to my uh, conversation with Rick Shithouse, part two of my conversation with Rick Shithouse, in uh, just a second. But I thought maybe I would uh, go to the mail sack real quick. And uh, if you ever have any letters or questions you want to send to Beyond Synth, you can send them to me the same way uh, that you can get in contact with me to send me songs. You can contact me on the Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and uh, just title the message Mail Sack. So here's some mail sack. And by mail sack, I mean M-A-I-L-S-A-C-K, as in a sack of mail. This one is from a dude called Jeffrey Carter. He says, By the way, thanks for doing Beyond Synth. It is one of the cornerstones of all this madness. I know a lot of people appreciate it. I'm getting the feeling that not only synthesizers, but the world as well, have matured enough to begin accepting synths as equals to any other instrument, capable of anything, and perhaps even beyond where traditional means leave off. We We've seen certain things and patterns come full circle now. If we stay sharp, this next iteration of the cycle could be absolutely inspired. And that was a mail sack from Jeffrey Carter, an interesting guy. And he, they've got a group um, that makes synth music called Fubar. And maybe I'll play one of their tracks on the show sometime. And that is the mail sack. So now, let's listen to one more song. We're going to listen to a track by Ghost. This is a. Uh, a cool song, which also appears on the Defragmented uh, soundtrack, the game Defragmented. And this track is Ripper by Ghost.
And that was Ripper by Ghost. Uh, like Ripper, you know. The Ripper, gonna get ya. Anyways, that's uh, that track is uh, is you can find it on the Defragmented soundtrack if you like, and it probably is on one of his albums too. This is all stuff I'm probably supposed to know. So the uh, the Magic Sword uh, competition was uh, it went well, and we had a bunch of winners. And um, I think next week, or maybe in the coming weeks, I might get Magic Sword to come on the show and talk about his tour. And I'm going to play some audio clips that I got the winners to record who got on the guest list to go see uh, Magic Sword. So um, that should be fun. And uh, that's all I got to say. So let's now go to part two of my conversation with Rick Shithouse. We left off part one. We were we basically just went on a big rant talking about Lego for about like half an hour. And then I think we've now we switched gears and then start talking about uh, toy collecting and stuff like that. So here is part two of my conversation with Rick Shithouse. We're back with Rick Shithouse here. We're just talking about Lego, having a having a good time. Uh, so, with your whole Lego thing, because you talked before about how you also have like this collection of you know toys and things, and I've seen those photos you posted of like your apartment that you sort of decked out in a very retro fashion. Yes. Oh yes. Or your house. I don't know if it's a house or an apartment. Oh, it's a house. It's a house. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing that I always found interesting is because you did a lot of sort of restoring things. Mm, yes. So what's the the process in that? Like you got to buy like some poison or I mean, when I say restoring, like you would take old sort of dull looking plastic toys and oh, things. Oh, retro brighting. Oh, absolutely. Retro brighting is lots of fun. I've actually got to do some retro brighting soon, actually. Um, uh, everyone knows that when, when plastics get old, they get yellowed. And this is not because the plastic's yellow. It's because of the fire retardant chemical they actually put on the plastic when it comes out of the factory. That actually ages in um, uh, reacts to UV and turns the actual plastic looking brown and yellow but it's not the actual plastic itself it's just a layer on top um, and I found this wonderfully dangerous recipe on the internet to create this shit to combat this and it's got you know ridiculously high concentrate hydrogen peroxide and uh, you mix in all this all this goop together and you make this concoction that you paint on a toy and then or plastic in general and you leave it out in the sun or under a UV lamp for a certain period of time and it magically restores it so I did a lot of that for radios, a lot of the radios that I've got, um, the smaller ones, especially the coloured ones, like little white ones and everything, oh, very get very yellowed over the course of 30 years. So, I then I started using it for Lego and for toys as well, and it was, uh, uh, having that as an option when you're buying something means you can get stuff that's usually a hell of a lot cheaper, uh, because people think it's rubbish and it's in poor condition, and then you can restore it up to nearly brand new, which is, uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. A lot of that was washed on from the, you know, boombox restoring and that I learnt and fixing cassette decks and restoring plastics and mending plastics, and this is like like a nice extension of that. Like, I, I sold some old Game Boys. Like, I was getting rid of a lot of, like, retro gaming equipment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I needed the money because I'm rich. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I had some people, like, you know, because I sold some Game Boys relatively cheaply because their screens were, you know, they, they lose pixels at the side. Oh, yes, yes. And then, of course, like, as I'm selling it to a guy, he's like, well, yeah, you can fix this. I'm like, you can? Like, I figured, like, I was like, someone else could fix it, but it turns out, I guess, you know, you can crack open the Game Boy and you just have to, like, press down the fucking weird metallic stuff behind the screen or something and that'll get the pixels back or whatever. Oh, incredible. Oh, there we go. But, 
uh, you know, I was leaving that for other people. I'm like, honestly, I don't want to make that my thing. Right, yes. But when you're doing the, the restoring stuff, that chemical doesn't bleach the plastic? Like, it literally just gets rid of the yellow and that's it? Yeah, it essentially reacts to the... Um, oh, too many crickets. What's the name of the stuff? Uh, there's a, it's bromine. Bromine, that's the name of the chemical. Uh, the hydrogen peroxide reacts to the bromine and basically breaks it down. But because hydrogen peroxide is a very toxic and not very pleasant material to deal with, if you leave it on too long, it can harm the surface and it can affect the plastic. So you've really got to be monitoring things when you're using it so that it doesn't eat too hard into the plastic. Uh, and it should just react to the bromine and strip it off. You have to leave it on for a hell of a long time. I, I see a lot of tutorials done in the Northern Hemisphere where they get like three hours of sunlight per season. Mm. And it's like, you know, they're out in the, you know, in, in the middle of winter in the English countryside trying to catch some UV rays. <laughs> you know, they leave it out there for a week or something. And it's like the sun in Australia, it's like you get out in it for more than 30 seconds and you come back burnt to crisp. Right. So we get lots of great UV. So it's useful for something in toy restoration. Because <laughs> I can do my stuff in a couple of hours that most people in Northern Hemisphere, it's taking them weeks to take care of. So I also bought this uh, UV light that I use in the winter when it's overcast uh, and, and that does the similar job. So, But uh, the amount of plastics I've restored with that, like Dreamcast watches, uh, yo-yos, action figures, Lego, you know, everything has this bromine coating on it when it comes out of a plastics factory to make it less flammable, basically. So clock radios, phones, all of this stuff is treated the same way. So this the Retro Bright is definitely the, yeah, it fixes nearly all of this shit. But you mix it yourself? Yeah, you mix it with a, Jesus Christ, what the hell's in the mixture? you got to use... Like, when you were calling it Retrobrite, I thought that's because you were actually buying a product called Retrobrite. Well, it is actually sold in some countries where there's obviously very lax laws on chemical <laughs> distribution. <laughs> as Retrobrite. It's, it's banned by the UN Convention, but... Uh, <laughs> that's Because <yeah. right. laughs> the, the actual hydrogen peroxide reacts with... You're essentially turning a liquid into a paste. So you in, introduce all these in ingredients that make it into a paste, so it's easy to apply to the plastic because hydrogen peroxide on its own is very thin and watery so it's not going to stick to the actual item and you want to have it stick to it so that it reacts with the UV and that's what creates the bromine breakdown so essentially the recipe is involving all of these oh it's dishwashing that's right it's, it's um oxy 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 washing powder that's the that's the catalyst catalyst <laughs> important but technical term <laughs> that's the catalyst so you have your peroxide mixed with um xanthan gum which is a thickener what else is there glycerin to make it a bit smoother and kangaroo piss <laughs> kangaroo piss thanks <laughs> absolutely some koala gonads um <laughs> Uh, and you essentially mix this shit up and then you add the oxy detergent, the powder detergent thing, and that's the catalyst that makes it go mental in the UV and gets rid of the bromine. And this hydrogen peroxide, I get this ridiculous shit off eBay that's like, I think it's like 40%. You're supposed to use like 3%. And this stuff's like, it's it's medical grade, they call it. And, um, <laughs> you know, you're supposed to buy it with some kind of license to practitioner medicine. So, um, But these dodgy sellers over here just sell it to anyone that wants it. So it's a very dangerous thing. Like, I have to put on my 80 ski goggles and some gloves and make sure I don't get burnt too much so but it does what it, it, hey, it does the job does the job <laughs> <laughs> any risk for the toys any risk yeah <laughs> well let's uh let's listen to another track here man yes absolutely this is ben parker with the song capital city nights
And that was a cool track by a cool guy called Ben Parker. And that was Capital City Nights. And we're back with Rick Shithouse. <laughs> Talking about restoring toys with poison and uh, and building Lego and boomboxes. You've got like a very crazy boombox collection. I actually have one of the... I'm not an arrogant person by nature. I, I don't like big noting myself or anything. But I really do have one of the most desirable boombox collections on the planet. And um, like... <laughs> And, and that's something I should be proud of, and it's something I should say. Hey, look, I've got the fucking most amazing boombox collection you'll ever see. But I don't, you know, it's not. That's not me. That's not me. So whenever I'm meeting new people, it's like, yeah, I collect boomboxes, and uh, but uh, yeah, like I've got about 180 of them, and they're all Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like the flagship models from all the manufacturers from all over the planet, pretty much. So there's only seven I've got left to make my collection complete, and a lot of those are going to be they're going to be like four figure purchases, unfortunately. So. Jesus. <laughs> you restore those too? Oh, absolutely. They're no good unless they fucking go. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But there's a whole mentality a lot of collectors have where it's like, you know, I paid $800 for this radio. I'm not opening it up and risking ruining it to fix the cassette deck. Whereas I'm like, I paid $800 for it. I'm fucking going to get the cassette deck to work regardless. Right, right, right. So, a lot of the bigger collectors collect for the aesthetic. Um, but there's not many collectors that collect for actual usage and, um, you know, enjoying them and, and, and really kind of using them as they were intended. So my custom tire. Um, and the pink and blue radio that gets trapped all around the internet. <laughs> that, that model of Boombox is the most desirable, pretty much worldwide radio and the highest quality Boombox ever created as far as sound and performance goes. So these things sell for like $2,000 on US on eBay when they turn up. And the fact that I, <laughs> the fact that I painted one and, and customized it made a lot of collectors go, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> um, so, but it was pretty beat up already. It was pretty beat up already. So yeah, there's, you know, I, I do pride myself on my radio collection. But I don't really go on about it much. It's something that I've done. It's something I'm very happy with. But it's a it's a personal joy, not a not a public joy. Like, is there a point where you uh, you get a cassette of some new synthwave tunes and you just walk up to the wall of boomboxes and just select one? Well, it depends which wall of boomboxes I walk up to, but. <laughs> There are literally four or five. Um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of getting a new, um, especially when I get something on cassette and finding the right boombox for that sound. I love it because, you know, they all have different sound personalities and, you know, it's uh, there's a lot that are more bassy and a lot that have more mid-range and, you know, there's a lot of you know, the different personalities the sounds of them have. So finding the right boombox for the right tape is always a joy. I always enjoy doing that. So did you have any, like, technical experience before that or was it the collection of the boomboxes that uh, made you like figure out how to fix these like cassette decks oh, and I've stuff. Got, I've got no, I had no idea. I've got an English mind, not a math mind. I'm awful with mathematics, mm. and it's all fucking numbers. Engineering, it's all numbers. And when it comes to like repairing cassette decks and stuff, it, it, there's usually only a couple of things that go wrong with cassette decks. It's usually rebelting, and you know, there's all these little rubber bands that basically hold every cassette deck together. And over 30 years, they just stop. And replacing those is 90 percent of the problem. Uh, when it comes down to electrical failures, I do have a local repairman that hates me and despises. When I turn up in his driveway with a radio for him to fix, but he does charge me accordingly, so he yeah. takes care of a lot of the other stuff when I can't. When it's too hard, basket. I learned everything I did off um, forums, though, off boombox collecting forums, so and sharing ideas with guys and learning 
off them. So it's it's so interesting when you uh, get the old electronics like that because I mean I well and this will probably offend you but I mean like I <laughs> like when I get old electronics I mean like I cannibalize a lot of stuff oh, that's cool. for parts that I can use on my like robot costumes and things when I'm like building robots and stuff. Oh, fair enough, absolutely. A buddy of mine, you know, turned up with a with an old VCR mm. and recently have been you know cannibalizing VCRs from like the 90s and stuff when they became they were very lightweight and plastic and you know there's oh, absolutely there's yeah. usable stuff in there but they were and then this this thing weighed like 20 pounds and I opened up the this VCR because it was one of those ones like from the early 80s where you actually had like a fucking little screwdriver to do the tracking adjustment and there was like yeah, nice one very 20 nice. little like white circle things that you had to turn to, mm. and I, I was just shocked because I was so used to seeing VCRs from the 90s because that's when I was using VCRs that uh, this thing had fucking like engine grease in it it was like opening up the hood of a car oh yes it weighed so much it was Absolutely. all just fucking metal inside and my hands got greasy like there was no grease <laughs> in the VCRs from the 90s like they used some weird orange bonding stuff but in this 80s one like my hands were black there's mm. belts and all this shit and I'm like how did they manage to condense this technology? Like, in the 80s, it had to take this fucking, like, car engine <laughs> that in the 90s was all made of plastic and Absolutely. is nuts. You know, when it comes to... And everyone romanticizes the 80s, and fucking hell, I do every day of my life. But the fact of the matter is that from the early to mid-70s to about 1986, you know, everything that was of quality was made to a specification, not a price point. And this is why you had high components that cost, you know, a thousand dollars in 1975. Mm. You know, same with the radios. A lot of these radios, uh, the, the boomboxes that I collect, you know, they were made to a specification. You know, the, the M90, which is the customer, that, that sold for 800 US in mm. 1981. <laughs> this is not a cheap piece. And the engineering that went into them when things are being made to a specification, not a price point, this is what happened. And of course, late 80s, more globalization, more factories moving shit to China, shit stuck getting made to a price point because they thought the average consumer they just want the fucking product they don't care whether it's a flagship reference model or whatever yeah and that's where the change happened and it's all simplified electronics from there now we've sort of got this technology that you know is in these different tiers and I do this because I don't have like a huge budget so I'll be like hey that's cool I can buy a surround system for like 200 bucks Mm. but the fact of the matter is the price point of the actual product you probably should be buying if you care Mm. has always been in this sort of high range it's like in the back in the day it was just sort of like well that's the standard you're going to go to the store and you're going to buy a television here's what they cost if you really want you know your color tv or whatever like it's just an an expensive item absolutely now we've got cheap ones but the fact is if you actually want a good you know set of speakers or a good receiver Mm. you're paying the same price that you would have then like but you now become one of the like upper echelon people of like you can buy the 200 dollar receiver or you can buy the fucking $800 one and that's the price point you're looking at or up Absolutely. to get the actual quality fucking product or like me, I'll buy the fucking surround sound system that comes built in with a DVD player. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and, and then complain when the thing sucks because I didn't buy, you know, like a fucking $2,000 set of speakers or whatever. Yes. And a lot of this is, uh, you know, you got to know what you really want. I think a lot of people say, I'm buying a Pioneer system because I've been told that's what I'm supposed to have. You know, there's a real consumer mentality in this day and age that says, I'm buying this because it's Sony and Sony make good shit. Sony haven't made good shit since 1995. This is, you know, <laughs> seriously, this is not something they pride themselves in with reference models of audio and shit. There's this whole consumer mentality that a lot of people, it's either low-end, like you say, where it's like, fuck it, I just want it. I'm buying it. It's like, I buy my speakers like I buy a toaster. As long as they sound, they make a sound, it makes my toast, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you've got the other people who say, well, unless it's, unless it's a, you know, a B&W set of speakers that cost at least $1,600, I'm afraid that I can't listen to them. You know, there's this, you know, and that audiophile kind of mentality is, I don't know, it's just a recipe for spending lots and lots of money needlessly. Yes. And I've got friends that are heavily into home theatre gear. I've got friends with monstrously expensive home theatres that they're constantly upgrading. You know, I've got friends with Atmos speaker systems in their ceiling and shit. <laughs> and this is, the thousands of dollars are spent on monthly bases that seem to keep up with this shit. Whereas I've got this cheap um, 5.1 system that I installed like 10 years ago and I'm like, and I listen to most of my shit through two channel anyway. But this is really about saying, what are you happy with? You have to be happy with what you spend the money on as a purchase. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to electronics, you're not looking at saying, I'm buying that because of, you know, it's got this gimmick and I can now do this shit wirelessly or something and I've been told that that's how I'll do everything. You know, technology doesn't diametrically change how you do stuff. It incrementally does it. Right. And a lot of these gimmicks that they traipse out, it's just to try and get people to buy the next model. It's not because it's actually some revolutionary thing. So this is why I stick to the 80s. Stuff that's made to a specification is really uh, the stuff that I like. And as soon as shit went digital, you know, I don't know, all bets are off as to whether it's actually doing anything differently or not or whether you're just paying for the brand name. I mean, we had this set of speakers from the 80s or whatever. Mm. They bought these good quality speakers and even though it was just like a stereo system, those fucking speakers lasted absolutely for so long and sounded great, you know? Absolutely. I was always sort of chasing that sound, but then I was chasing it with the wrong budget (laughs) as well because that was... <laughs> Let's listen to another track and then we'll fucking uh, talk some more. So here's a here's a track by North Exit and this is Black Devil.
And that was North Exit with the tune Black Devil. And I'm back again with Rick Shithouse. We're talking about speakers and the 80s. <laughs> that, that sum up this conversation. Who could have predicted we'd be talking about that? <laughs> it is very much a like you were talking about with the you know eighty speakers. Like I really identify that nineteen eighty eighty four period with the home hi fi systems that were just engineered to the bejesus that had this incredible sound for the time, especially. You know, I, I idealize that. Whereas I look at shit now and I'm like, all you're giving me is high end and, and low end. You you don't focus on the mid range because that's what modern music does. Modern music production has no interest in mid-range whatsoever. And this is why a lot of these older speaker systems go for lots of money because they are representing a soundstage that is very different to the modern one. You know, everyone loves their big, you know, bass hits and all this kind of shit. It's not music though. It's not how the music of the especially from the 80s sounded. It's ironically like when you look at, uh, just as a bit of Boombox 101, you look at radios <laughs> that came out in the mid-70s in the highest like capacity. You look at what Sharp released in 1976, 77. JVC released in 76, 77. And a lot of this stuff is made for what music was around in 976, 77. And if you put modern music on these radios, it sounds like garbage. But <laughs> you, you put on some, you know, AOR like, you know, Eagles record or Boston or some 70s rock album or Queen or anything like that from that period on this radio and it sings like you wouldn't believe because it's been made to really um, capture on the sounds of the time. And this is where generationally, you know, like, sound does change. And, uh, you know, with all that loudness world bullshit and everything else that's been happening, you know, it really becomes noticeable when you're used to hearing how things sounded a certain way and then hearing them on a newer system. There's this uh, artificiality that I think comes in. And a lot of people, like you're saying, you know, they probably say, well, I don't, I don't care. I just, you know, I just listen to it for the sake of listening to it. But in this day and age where you've got six billion different sets of headphones you can listen to and there's umpteen billion, like, horrendous, like, hi-fi systems you can buy. Sometimes it's better to actually go back to, you know, the older stuff if you are listening to older stuff to understand how it's supposed to sound. I think also, too, like, when with music, it's like they've just thrown more speakers at the thing. But essentially, <laughs> like, it hasn't really changed. Like, no. speakers sounded good then. They sound good now. But it's like, it's not quite the same as image quality. Oh, like, absolutely. TVs, no fucking question. A 4K TV is an amazing thing to look at. Yep. But sound is one of those things where if you like a song or you like the melody and or the feeling like the feeling that music gives you mm. you don't need high-end things whereas when you have video games and stuff now it's just it's like a requirement you know they make yeah, the text yeah. so fucking small on hd games <laughs> exactly. that if you don't have an hd tv you can't even read what the fucking words say and i don't You're know what, sure. whose decision that is because <laughs> i've played so many games on the playstation 4 now where it's like at the bottom of the screen there's just these tiny little words and i'm just like what do they want from me like i actually have to buy like a 60 inch oh, tv to yes. read the instructions like <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, if you actually hooked a PS4 to a, not the, I don't even think you can hook it to a standard definition TV, but you mean, uh, it would be completely illegible. Absolutely. I'd like to do that. I've actually got a, I've got a CRT that I use for my vintage gaming system. So, um, it'd be funny to hook up the PS4 to that through. I probably have to put it through about 10 different video decoders to actually yeah. strip <laughs> it back to 576p or something, but it, it'd be pretty interesting. It'd be pretty interesting. Um, it is something that with sound though, you, like you say, sound's gotten dumber, I think over the years, not 
smarter. It's gotten more treble, more bass, more impact rather than more detail. Yeah, and I think it's that impact that's been like honed down to a science, you know, like pop music production science. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, knowing what beats to hit where, what chord progressions make the catchiest chorus. And uh, it's the same with movies, you know, because you can create the perfect blockbuster because mm. you've done it for so long that you know, hey, at the 15 minute mark, the dad dies. Oh, yes, yes. The hour 30 mark is when, you know, the mentor dies and gives the, yes. the guy his final push for the final 15 minutes. Whatever. And to be fair, that shit works. Like when I see a finely tuned machine of a film, mm. I cannot say it does not work on me. Like when I watch a Pixar movie or something and it hits all the right emotional beats, I'm like, you know, I'm a sucker for that. It worked. They did it. But how much of this is a learned behavior of what you should expect and how much of it is it actually entertaining you on a level of something that speaks to you directly? Well, that is a philosophical question, Rick Shithouse. That is uh, <laughs> difficult to answer. But how about we How about we listen to another track and we'll figure this out. So here is Arkanoid 74 with Digital Island.
And that was Digital Island by Arkanoid74. I remember that game. And we are talking to Rick Shithouse about whether we enjoy our entertainment because we've been conditioned. And, uh, you know, when I think back to the cartoons I loved in the 80s, mm-hmm. now I hold as a fact that I think that they are better than the kids' cartoons now. I think that's Absolutely. a fact. Absolutely. But is it? Or am I tainted by the fact that I'm also infusing those memories with the fact that I was a kid with no responsibilities? And mm, Well, very true. Like, I watch SpongeBob religiously. SpongeBob's like my favorite modern cartoon since it's started. So I've, I've watched every episode of SpongeBob numerous times. <laughs> I, I never watched Masters of the Universe as a kid. I went through this horrible period from when I was 14, 13... There was this 16-month period where I had a birthday and my parents said, uh, you're not getting toys anymore. You're a teenager. That's it. See you later. And you have to be an adult now. And you have to get a job and you have to do this and this and this. And basically, I said, well, that's the end of this childhood. See you later. Uh, and this 16-month period was like no longer watching kids' TV, no longer playing with toys, you know, get a job after school, do this, do this, do this. And I'm like, after 16 months, I'm like, this is awful. This isn't living. And this period was where a lot of these cartoons came out that I never saw as a kid. So as as an adult now, I'm going back and watching these, and seriously, they are fucking better than the shit today. I can guarantee you this, and that's with no nostalgia whatsoever on my behalf. So I'm watching the Master of the Universe series right now, and it is goddamn amazing. It is hilarious. <laughs> uh, and same with Trans- I've, got, I've gone through the Transformers series at least six times in the last twelve months. Yeah, Transformers. Although I am fully aware, like when I will say, uh, you know, I love Transformers, and then people say, you know, well, it was a fucking toy advert. But the thing is, they still found a way to make it like a cartoon with actual plot as opposed to when you look at what toy advertising cartoons became in like mm. the 90s and shit with like I, I always reference like Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon as examples oh, there's a show called yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh yes. I never watched like it was like way after my time but I, I caught like a few minutes of it one day mm. in the show the kids play with the cards oh absolutely oh it's direct marketing <laughs> yeah and it's like they're playing with the card they're going like I'm launching my fire monster and they like throw a card down and I'm like so the parallel would be if I were a kid watching Transformers and the show is about a bunch of school kids who play with Transformers toys and imagine the robots fighting each other. That's the allegory. That's the allegory right there. Absolutely. How shitty would that be? How shitty (laughs) are these fucking kids shows where they're all about (laughs) school kids pretending when we had cartoons that were like fucking robots going on adventures. Absolutely. Like there was no kid like bookending the show where it's like, hey grandma, tell me another story about the robots. It was just about <laughs> fucking robots. Like, yes. I've never understood the need, and uh, maybe I'm going to, I'll talk to a psychologist about this sometime, <laughs> but I've never understood the need for children to have surrogate characters in television. Oh, absolutely. So requiring a kid character that can be their gateway into the show. When I was a kid, I aspired to be the adults. I loved the real Ghostbusters. Yes. I didn't want to be the junior Ghostbusters. Very I true. wanted to be Peter Venkman. Yes, like, absolutely. Why would I want to be a fucking kid? Absolutely. This is where the removal of imagination and fantasy has been a, a constant thing for kids' shows over the last you know, 15, 20 years. It's, it's yeah. taking that away from it. And it's ironic because I've been watching the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon series, which in all seriousness is probably one of the most intelligently written cartoons of the 80s, like period. Uh, the way it's structured is just utterly incredible. And there is a story. Now, this isn't very 
in mind this is the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon series would air Saturday mornings for you know all the six, seven, year, eight year olds. There is a plot in one cartoon where Venger makes this Kronos machine so he can go back in time. He goes into the dimension of the Earth today. So remember, this is Dungeons and Dragons land we're talking about. Right. Venger makes this time hole into here and he steals a cutting edge like jet fighter. He steals this out of um, an Air Force base with the pilot still in it. Puts the pilot in prison, keeps the jet. Then using his time machine, he goes back to World War II and captures a Nazi pilot. They don't say Nazi, but he, yeah. he's German, all right. Uh, and they capture this German dude in his like World War II plane. Venger's plan for the whole episode is that he's going to teach the Nazi pilot to fly the modern airplane, then put him back into World War II so the Nazis can use that technology to win the war so the kids never go into D&D in D-Land. This is it. It's this incredibly like adult plot. You know, this German soldier in this fantasy world not being able to deal with shit entirely. And Venger just saying, you know, drive the fucking plane! Drive the fucking plane! Learn how to drive it! And these you know, these kids saying, what the hell's going on? And Venger's like, you're never going to exist! I'm going to wipe you from history! And never mind that the Nazis take over the whole planet. This is one episode. This is one 20-minute episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is fucking incredible. And you try and get that through a focus group these days. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, there's a lot of stuff. There's so much creativity in a lot of the 80s, especially the cartoon series that are, you know, really deemed to be very, very 80s by definition. And But going back to them, like you say, like, this isn't something you can... You just wear the nostalgia pants and say, no, they were the best ever. You should go back and watch this shit because it is a solid gold. I love those pants. <laughs> Constantly in the nostalgia pants. <laughs> Let's listen to another song. Uh, here it is. This is Voltage with the song Supreme Delight.
And that was Supreme Delight by the cool and talented Voltage. And I'm still talking to Rick Shithouse here. And we're once we get on this tangent of like 80s cartoons, it's hard to uh, yank it off to, to get away, off. man. Because yeah, I totally agree with just everything you're saying. And it's funny because I love where the 80s cartoons take their influences from mm. as well. Because like what, what you're saying right there with that Dungeons and Dragons one, like maybe those people saw Terminator. Ah, uh, well, this was 1982 or 83. More than actually saw the demon with the glass hand out of limits episode. Yes, I was just about to say <laughs> More than likely that was in the influences. But I, I always love, you know, where they get their stuff from, even like technically, because what I love about Transformers, I feel like they ripped a whole bunch of sound effects from like the Doctor Who library. Oh, yes. Oh, Transformers uses Star Wars sound effects. Oh, yeah, man. Like they use Star Constantly. Wars and there's even a few and I'm wondering like how they even at that period of time got a hold of it because most of the Doctor mm. Who sound effects were all like original to like the BBC workshop or whatever. Yes. Oh, very true. Or the, the radiophonic workshop. And uh, every time, like in Transformers, there's like things that'll happen. I'm like, that's the fucking TARDIS door opening noise yeah, from the inside absolutely. of the TARDIS. Like, they- <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. There's a lot of that shit that is just so uncopyrightable, I think, as far as sounds go. There's uh, there's a hilarious thing with the, um, what was it, in Ulysses 31, where they actually lifted the main theme from Star Wars and put it in an episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, we're just going to use 30 seconds. You won't notice it. You won't know it's Star Wars. And there's this epic scene. It's like, wait a minute, this is a fucking Star Wars theme coming in here. That's <laughs> and, hilarious. And the copyright basically said, well, you can't do that, guys. You can, list the light, you can lift the lightsaber sounds of TIE Fighters till the cows come home, but as soon as you take Williamson's music, eh, we're bringing the lawyers out. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> there was so much recycled stuff that didn't have a copyright issue. Apparently, you can't copyright a sound effect. Uh, and this is why a lot of the cartoon sound effects are just so incestuous they're in every single series and you hear these standards like throughout like 30 years of cartoons and I think they basically said well we've been doing this for 30 years with other sound effects we can do this with Star Wars Doctor Who whatever the hell yeah. you like <laughs> the thing that I love the most and I think this one is you can't even argue even if you love your kids cartoons from different decades 80s cartoons have the best intros oh yes the best fucking intro music absolutely I love how much more work they put into the animation oh, of yes. the intros. Definitely. Like, there's nothing that brings me more joy. Just watch an episode of Jason and the Wheeled Warriors and you know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> there's a power that comes from deep inside of you.
It doesn't matter how shitty the cartoon was. Part of the budget of any kid's cartoon was always like, whatever this whole season costs, we're going to put half of that budget into just making a really awesome title sequence with a really fucking cool song. Definitely. We're going to hook you in it there, and then if the rest of the show shit, you'll still be singing the song well after the credits roll. Because, I mean, like, fucking Transformers, the cartoon, probably goes at, like, three frames a second of actual <laughs> animation. <laughs> but then the song is one of the best. Oh, absolutely. Because there's so many of these, like, side cartoons. They're not like the hits or that people really remember but they have these classic songs but then everyone will still cite like G.I. Joe because it's like the one they remember very true yes which I think is one of the weakest of all like the 80s cartoon songs like it absolutely now Transformers on the other hand Mm. I love the season 3 version of the song oh the season 3 version is incredible absolutely that's the one thing that bothers me about when I talk to people about Transformers the cartoon because everyone always wants to focus on the movie and I prefer the show to the film like I think the movie's fine. Yes. But yes. I think the show is better, and I think the season three version of the theme is like the height. That fucking sample, the do 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 ha do do ha, it was oh, fucking yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you got the zoom in on Wheelie as he's going around the planet. So absolutely amazing. <laughs> As much as I hated some of the characters they introduced in season three, yes. I actually really enjoy season three. I love season three. The cheese level is unabashed. It's like, like we're not even trying to sell toys anymore. We're just going to give you the cheesiest plots possible. Well, fucking um, Galvatron, there was an episode where he sees a psychiatrist. <laughs> I fucking laugh my ass off when I watch that episode. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, I know there was like some episodes in like season one or two where the like the Transformers enter a breakdancing competition and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's They've got some pretty funny. stupid fucking episodes, but like... Because I collect Masterpiece Transformers, I'm, I, I'm in, I'm aware of the Transformers collecting community and and, and I don't partake, but I, I watch voyeuristically with great entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this whole, you know, shark jumping moment in season three where they had this episode where through some wormhole thing a couple of Autobots get taken to this dimension where everyone sings the dialogue and it's like this <laughs> fantasy like princess and um, prince story and the king and the evil witch and everything it's this traditional kind of fantasy story but everyone sings and that's their that's their dialect so yeah. when the Autobots talk to them they can't understand them until they start singing <laughs> and, and that whole episode everyone like we should wipe my from the face of history because well, it's not related to anything Transformer at all. But Jesus Christ, it's cheesy. I, I mean, as much as I praise it for not being a toy advertisement, season four might be the epitome in history of oh, toy advertisement because yeah. season four is the one where they didn't do a full season. Exactly. And they came back with, what, five episodes where they had to introduce, like, 140 characters or something? It's like, here's the toy line for next year. We've got 90 minutes to make sure you want to buy them all. That That's- one <laughs> is fucking hilarious because there's the Transformers, then there's the Headmasters, and they all have dumb names. Oh, absolutely. For people who don't know, you know, the Headmasters are these little dudes that get inside the head of bigger robots. And the Target Masters that are their guns, yeah. And, and then even before the Headmasters become controllers of robots, they also have 
have names like Laser Blast and Starstorm, even though they're just dudes. <laughs> Absolutely, just little aliens in robes. Yeah. <laughs> and that episode, literally, for like five episodes, they just do roll calls. Yes. Because they have to introduce like 30 new characters every 20 minutes, so literally it's just like, and I'm going to walk into a room, and here's Starfire and Starclone and Storm Thrasher, and like it just these list of names. Oh, there's so many of those scenes. There's at least probably six of those scenes where it's 30 seconds of the camera panning around a whole bunch of robots saying their name. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's solid gold. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's listen to some solid gold right now, man. This is a perfect track for Halloween. This is Halloween by Hoo-Ha.
That was Halloween, a fun track by Hoo-Ha, who uh, also does all the jingles for the show. And we are back with Rick Shithouse talking about our favorite cheesy Transformers moments. This gets back to, you know, the, the whole principle of why I love this shit is because it's so wonderfully cheesy. Yes. This is what I'm finding out with the Transformers collectors I'm finding is that they are of the mind that Transformers are cool and they're not cheesy, they're cool. Uh, and as soon as someone says something's cheesy, that's, that's taken as an affront. It's like, what are you saying? You're discounting the entire value of the thing here. Whereas you must embrace the cheese. Yes. The cheese is your emancipation. This is allows you to enjoy <laughs> this shit on a whole new level. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing all these arguments about like, you know, because when there's, there's this whole wonderful industry in um, Transformers Masterpiece of third party robots. And what they are, and these companies that have no affiliation with the ownership of the copyright will release a figure in uh, like what they call masterpiece quality, meaning it looks exactly the same as the vehicle as it does as in the robot in the show. That's the, pretty much the definition of masterpiece. Because none, right. none of the original toys did that. The fucking Galvatron toy oh, is yeah. garbage. Absolutely. Even Megatron, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Megatron was shit. Soundwave <laughs> was my favorite. Yes. Classic toy. I remember my cat shit on him. Anyways, continue your story. <laughs> <laughs> but when you've got these third these these third party manufacturers that say right all these fanboys they really really want an astro train so we're going to make an astro train and we're going to call it something completely unrelated but it will look exactly like astro train mm. and the arguments that these guys get into saying well in episode four of season three you can see his knee pads with this shape and these guys are going for the season four knee pads it's just ridiculous <laughs> why do they expect me to buy this <laughs> these are the this is like it could be a verbatim argument in these fucking threads. It is amazing how pernickety they are about the most inconsequential shit because the robots were drawn so poorly to begin with that their scales change from episode to episode, let alone like little details. So these third party manufacturers say, well we think that you know, our sideswipe should look like this so we're making a sideswipe that looks like the toy, it looks like the actual character in the show and this is our rendition of, you know, sideswipe because Takara and the guys that make the toys now don't aren't going to do it, they couldn't be fucked. Mm. So 
they go through all these characters and release them. Now, these aren't cheap. These are usually 150 to 200 US. So you're looking at this very boutique item. They only release in small amounts. They only produce them for a certain amount of time. Uh, they don't come with Autobot and Decepticon logos. You have to put them on yourself because that would breach copyright, even though they're going to make fucking... Uh, all of these characters look exactly like that in the cartoon. They can't do that. And they will say, oh, his head, his jaw's too wide. I'm sorry, I can't buy this. But this is, and this is a whole mentality of wanting perfection from the imperfect. Yes. It crosses over into music. It crosses over into film and television. You can't demand perfection from an imperfect medium. And that's where embracing the cheese allows you to not look for the perfect, but to admire the imperfection. Well, I've, I mean, I've said this a million times on this show, but like, I don't see cheesy as bad. Like when I use that word, some people see it as as bad. And I'm like, no, like cheesy, there's nothing greater than listening to like, I I had like my own on the show a few weeks ago. Yes. yes, I listened to that interview. It was wonderful. He is making music that I say is cheesy, but is awesome. Like, Absolutely. when I listen to it, I'm just like, this is fucking awesome. I get a smile on my face. It embraces the cheese. Absolutely. You know, if I made a Transformers film, like you say, like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> when you watch the movie try and jump through hoops of saying, like, well, uh, you know, they, they clone the cars that they look at and they do this. So they, they're trying to mm. they're trying to dance around the fact that look this doesn't make fucking sense so don't fucking try and stop trying to make this movie like it's so cool or cooler than shit like just embrace that just have these fucking clunky robots absolutely I would love to see nothing more than a Transformers film where it's actually guys in costumes oh that'd be great that would actually like on green screen like I would fuck I would love to see that it would make me so happy film like a 70s Japanese tokusatsu production or something that would be amazing yeah man fucking but do it with like modern tech like yeah. no, that'd be awesome ah. you've got to remember that in the 80s you know, this is something people should focus on it's not like we heard a song in the 80s and said oh that's so cheesy it's awesome and it wasn't it wasn't cheesy in the 80s the cheese name has only been coming in from the next generation trying to admonish the previous generation saying oh that's rubbish what we have is much better and that's a, a generational thing it didn't happen at the time and now cheese was always used in a negative connotation it's always oh that's too cheesy that's that's you know that's that's cheesy it's awful and it cheapens it for some people so that they can further justify what they like as being more valuable artistically and I'm of the campaign worldwide to people to <laughs> embrace the cheese value for what it is because this should not be something where you say that's too cheesy for me to listen to that movie's too cheesy for me to watch I can't watch Auto Man because it's too cheesy unacceptable this means you don't have the love you're just watching something because someone told you what's cool and that's very yes. very different uh, and that's why a lot of that new AOR stuff I've been listening to it's just so over the top cheesy I've been sharing it with some producers and they're like oh my god I can't believe how cheesy this is I love it <laughs> I think there's a big issue with Synthwave in general where because of the French connection to the French touch and French house and all that where it's like this cool club mentality for you know um, you know Asian spine synth, or the you know college stuff that's used in drive soundtracks or whatever you know that's not cheesy that's just classy that's awesome <laughs> it's not 80s sounding it's not it, it doesn't try and sound 80s it's it's a version the more 80s it sounds technically the cheesier it gets and that's something that a lot of people just don't embrace I think with with cheesiness comes joy you know what I mean like absolutely I, I, unabashed joy yeah, absolutely. I, like I love you know the different stuff I love the dark stuff and I love the light stuff too but a lot of the times there will be this discussion you know when people when they're listening to the show and like listening to the songs that I pick where you know there's this like division where uh, oh if it's a vocal track you know it's not as cool. Oh, 
God. Which I completely disagree with because I find it's the vocal tracks that give a lot of would-be standard synthwave tracks their identity. Absolutely. Tenfold. And that's what sets it apart because obviously, you know, doing this and being sent a lot of tracks Mm. and trying to search for new music while still staying, you know, in the synthwave umbrella, I hear a lot of stuff that just sounds the same as other stuff. Absolutely. When it comes to the dark stuff, there's a little discussion in Synthetics a while back where someone was saying, you know, how much popular dark stuff is because it's not as cheesy. That That was the general consensus I gleaned from this conversation that dark stuff's more popular because it's not cheesy. My head exploded like <laughs> when I saw this because I'm like, are you for real? They're putting inverted crosses on there. This is like some cheesy like satanic witch movie from the 70s. This isn't street. This isn't credibility. This is pure cheese. <laughs> I said the more theatrical and the more evil, and I'm doing those stupid air quotes there, the more evil she gets, the cheesier it gets. You know, in, in a couple of Bruce videos got neon inverted crosses dancing around in front of a half naked this is cheese that's classic schlocky cheese um <laughs> this, is, this is you might think it's cool but that's cool because it's cheesy uh and there's so much of this like um aesthetic of being dark and brooding and if it's dark and brooding it's more artistic and everything and someone said something like well by that token you know all, all these bands that you know i think are cool and that and really you know have artistic integrity are just cheesy and i like and they said what about What's that South African band that everyone thinks is absolutely amazing with that rapper and the chick with the eye contacts? Oh, uh, D'Antward? Exactly, D'Antward. So I always yeah. forget because, yeah. And they said, what about D'Antward? They're, the, they're, the, they're hard. Look how much they look at them. They posted a photo of them on stage and, like, you know, look how awesome that is. How, you know, that's not cheesy. And I'm like, dude, that is the fucking dictionary definition of cheesy. They're dressing <laughs> up in costume pretending they're someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the definition of cheese. Like, you know, people that say, oh, you know, I only listen to it because it's not, it's, it's not cheesy like that synthwave stuff. Come on, James's shit is just as cheesy as anyone else's. And oh, yeah. this is something that is embraced by the producers, I'm sure. But the people listening to this shit, you're like, come on, the more you embrace the cheese, the more love you will get out of the music. I will guarantee you this. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. And, and you know, as we go through different decades, what is considered cool, I mean, you know, if we're like back in the late 90s when Matrix came out, <laughs> yes, yes. you know, that's when, you know, like, the cyberpunk thing was at its height as far as coolness is concerned but now if you like made a music video with a bunch of people running around with like black trench coats and shades people would exactly. be like what is this cheese right and then <laughs> exactly with a new metal soundtrack with Limp Biscuit on it absolutely exactly I mean like so we go through these different phases all the time of cheese and I just feel like as long as you're being true to That's right. you know your expression because there is some stuff that I listen to where I'm just like yeah this is cheesy but it's it's honest when you know that people are having fun and I always like I use my own as an example now because he is having fun absolutely and you feel it cheese is honest yes this is this is my quote on facebook if you go to my facebook my quote is cheese is the most honest thing in the universe because cheese is unabashed cheese is out there cheese is not trying to be something else it is what it is yeah whether it's in a tv show whether it's in music whether it's in a cartoon like i say that's the emancipation of the media it's like really about wearing everything on its sleeve and saying this is just 
going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And shit should be fun. We're not listening to Carpenter Brute to do a black mass to fuck's sakes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know we're listening it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, this is stuff that is, uh, you know, it gives you an emotional response, but the joy, the happiness is the number one thing. You don't listen to Protector 101 because you're scared hiding under your bed listening to it. Well, maybe someone is. Yeah. Um, but this is, but you listen to it because it has that, well, it has the nostalgia factor as well, but it's fun. It takes you back to the funness of 80s horror movies. That's another thing that's fun, 80s horror movies. You know, they're technically horror movies. They're supposed to be scary and everything, but everyone loves them because they're fun. You know, mm. sure enough, Freddy Krueger's going to rape someone in their dreams, but that's still hilarious. <laughs> this is stuff that is unabashedly cheesy because it wasn't trying to be something else. And that's right. that, that's what I don't like about Synthway. Personally, is when it doesn't try to be true to the original, you know, fun and, and enjoyable and engaging nature of the original stuff. Because that, that wasn't something that was even considered. It's like, this is what it is, and we're just going to do this how it is. That's how art should be, I think. Well, let's listen to a, another song, and then maybe we should wrap this up here. We've been talking for a while. Yeah, it's nearly two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized. <laughs> so here is Lone Runner with the track Renegade.
And that was Lone Runner with a cool song called Renegade. And I dig that one. He's doing it all uh, analog styles. And, uh, of course, we're back here with Rick Shithouse. So we can wrap this up. This is probably going to end up being like a two-part episode because... Uh, it's so fucking epic. I'm not like Marco <laughs> putting together fucking like 10-hour shows every weekend. That's uh, Well, feel free to edit all my bullshit out and take yeah. it down to 90-minute. Nice, nice trim 60-minute show. <laughs> Well, whatever. It's all good. I, uh, it's it's fun to talk to people who actually enjoy talking. Yeah, well, like I say, I talk for a living kind of thing. And being able to talk about stuff that I'm passionate about is always something I enjoy. I always look forward to it. So, And that's why Quality Time with Shithouse is so much fun with me and Marco. I think that it's, you know, we both enjoy being able to share the love for the music to someone. You know, rather than just telling them this is a really cool track, having that conversation. I mean, it's, it's good, too, that for the Synthwave fans that they have these sort of different outlets. Because I know, um, for me personally, with this show, we don't... Act- like, I mean, I play music, <laughs> but oftentimes the conversation sort of veers into other places, and I do get people who go like, oh, talk more about the music. I'm just like, just listen to Synthetic Sundays. Like, I mean, like, they... <laughs> There, there's there's more of a focus on. It. I have no I have no qualms doing that. I've, I've had people you know who like will listen to my show and then comment just like, yeah. I mean like there's just kind of too much talking. I'm just like just listen to Synthetic Sundays. Like, I've had literally people go like just like oh thanks yeah that's what I wanted. I'm like okay. <laughs> like, you got it when it comes to when it comes to creating content like this. I always find it really hard to understand what people want. Well because there's no rule right. I mean no, exactly. And you're doing it because you want to do it. This is the key here. Well yeah. You know? yeah. We could, we could be doing this and not recording it and we'd still have a hilarious time. The fact that other people enjoy it is what well, I consider it a bonus with Synthetic Sundays especially. Uh, the fact that other people want to listen to it while we have fun making it, that's that's an extra bonus. That should be the goal. I mean, like, because I wanted to do a podcast and then and then when I discovered Synthwave, I realized, hey, there's this niche, you know, that I can fucking... Oh, absolutely. I wanted to do something and I wanted to find an outlet to talk about all the nerdy stuff I wanted to talk about, mm. but I didn't want to do it in the way that everyone else was doing because obviously if you go on iTunes and you may say there's like a million podcasts well you know 980,000 of those are here's me and two of my buddies talking about movies and video games mm, I just realized that actually that's something I was very blind to up until recently I'm like holy fucking shit how much of this content is there and who the hell is listening to it see that's the thing and so I I knew like okay I needed to do this but I needed to make sure it sounded good because obviously of those 980,000 you know ones that are all like four dudes talking about comics and yeah. Video games, you know, ninety percent of them sound like shit. Yes, and so the thing was for me it was just like it was very important. I'm like, okay, well, this show has to sound good. Mm. I also have to have fun doing it. Still manage to get all the things I want to say in there, but at the same time appease an audience who wants to hear like cool music and stuff like that. Exactly, and it's always finding that balance. Yes, yes, you have to have a personality, and this is this gets back to you know I you know, I say to people, uh, look, I market myself way better than fucking ninety percent of the producers out yeah. there. <laughs> 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 it's the same with yourself. If you have got a personality that, I don't know, it's not like I crave attention or anything. It's just like if you can put your passions into words, you will get people that follow you to who appreciate that. Especially people that can't put their passions into words. Because I feel that way about other stuff. And it's what inspired me and wanted me uh, wanted to do this because I listen to a lot of podcasts and none of them are music. They're like comedy right. and science and stuff like this. But it's always great when you hear, and you know, this is why I love great comedy, is when 
when someone can take what you feel and put it in a way, word it in a way that you're just like, oh, I completely agree with that, and I never fucking came up with that sentence or that phrase. Yes, yes. But that helps me compartmentalize my ideas. Absolutely. So, you know, when there's other people doing that, if I can do that for people or give them an outlet, like, it makes me feel good and it allows me to do the thing. And like you said, you're absolutely right, because obviously you have uh, a presence, and obviously you're, like, an interesting-looking guy because you've got, like, these fucking crazy dreadlocks and stuff, and you're sort of like, you don't look like someone who would dig this scene, which is what makes you interesting sort of as a character and like, you know, just because when you see like Rick Shithouse is the guy who runs synthetics and here he is and it's just this, this fucking big dude with these fucking red dreadlocks and these boom boxes and it's just like that's Rick Shithouse? Like, that's crazy. That is all part of it, you know what I mean? And the fact that you actually just show that that's you and you don't have a fucking mask or something, you know, so many oh, synthwave dudes with their masks, you know. You've got to be comfortable with who you are, I think, before you can have a voice that you can really put out in the public domain and be confident about. You know, being a teacher, this, you know, I, I technically am a teacher by trade. So, you know, this is something you pick up when you're teaching in a classroom situation. Believing what you're saying and hoping that other people pick up on it, you know, and getting that message across, that's what teaching is. So a lot of the stuff that, you know, with the, you know, being comfortable with who you are and, and being able to, you know, just say, look, you know, this is something I'm passionate about and I'm just, you know, I hope that you find this engaging because I certainly do. That's, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, are too scared to step up to that. You should be Professor Shithouse. Well... <laughs> Well, it doesn't have the same ring, but I do like the I do like the quality there. I tell you what, if if Synthetic Sunday ever folds, uh, you can come on this show as Professor Shithouse. Oh, it, it, like quality time with Professor Stupid on Ren and Stimpy. That'd be yeah. awesome. <laughs> or Doctor Shithouse, I guess. One or the other. That's fine. Because I feel like you and I could talk for a very long time all the time. So uh, yeah, there's, I actually had about ten different topics in my head to go to just in case, and I haven't touched on any of them yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the joy of Beyond Synth. We never get to any of the topics that's at right. hand. It's the journey. It's the journey, not the destination. <laughs> it's the journey. <laughs> Anyways, man, we'll fucking we'll wrap this up for now. But we'll definitely have uh, we'll have you back on again. Oh, absolutely. I look forward because, to because uh, it's it's fun to do. Yeah, well, this is right. It's fun and it's cheese and embrace the fun and cheese in your yeah. life. But at least in one aspect through Beyond Synth and Synthetic Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, you have a lovely fucking Australia. Australian afternoon. Uh, you have a, a wonderful evening. I hope you have sweet dreams, Andy. I hope you have a peaceful rest. I'll try. My kid goes to school, so I, I have to relive that whole fucking shit again. <laughs> Waking up early in the morning and walking to public school is the worst. Well, it's all those wonderful memories of fatherhood that you'll be playing back in 10 years' time with misty eyes yeah, yeah, when yeah. he's a teenager that hates you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When he's going back and I remember him hogging the PlayStation, because that's all that happens now. He just uses the PlayStation and I never get a chance to play um, my own PlayStation. So there you go. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you have a fucking uh, good night, and I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Andy. Keep on rocking, brother. It's been a pleasure. All right, and that was my conversation with Rick Shithouse. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hope you go uh, get some candy in a bag and uh, eat it. 
I guess if you're an adult, maybe you're giving candy away, but it's always nice to have those candies around the house. Although I'm like, I'm a notorious snacker, even though I'm not like a big fat guy, but if there are snacks in the house, I cannot resist. So if there was a bowl of like small uh, chocolate bars, I got my house, I will literally just eat the whole bowl in a day. Just every so you just walk back into the kitchen, just grab another one and you think nothing of it. And then at the end of the day, you like can't move. And anyway. Happy Halloween, everybody. (laughs) Uh, Tune in to the show next time. Uh, It'll be a good one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll talk to you next time on Beyond Synth. Beyond Synth.